We were looking at current events and how uh, they impact the scriptures and so on. Not so much the political side, but from the scriptural point of view. Emphasizing that as believers, because we have the Bible and because we have the Holy Spirit, not only can we see what is happening in the world, we can also know why it is happening. People who do not have the Holy Spirit living with them, who cannot understand the scriptures, do not have that same privilege. I hope you realize how privileged you are as a child of God. And the word is there for us, and it is to illuminate us and to help us to see what God is doing. And this is what I want you to understand. God is at work. And the things that he has said in his word are all being acted out right now in the Middle East. You see, what's happening over there is not a mess as far as God is concerned. He's carrying things towards a purpose, a goal that he himself has established. Anyway, I said last evening, uh, Lord's Day evening, that that was the last message. But I didn't lie. But I didn't tell the whole truth either. Because I want to give one more message on that one. The reason why I've changed my mind is because I was, I was going through it, especially I'm, going, I'm reading through the prophets now, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. I came across chapter 37 in Ezekiel's prophecy. Uh, them dry bones, you know, them dry bones. And as I was going through that, it just all of a sudden came to me in a more powerful way the significance of that prophecy. And I really don't believe that we will do justice to the series we have, we've given unless we sort of cap it off with that. Some of it will be repeat, but that's fine because I, a lot of things that we say to you, we talk to you about it uh, two days there after Nyando, if I ever said anything about it at all. So we can do a little repetition, not much, but I think it will be a blessing. But the underlying fact is this. You'll find that God is a faithful God. He's faithful to his word. What God says, he means what he means, he says. God is a God who is in control. And one of the most powerful evidences we have that this is the word of God is fulfilled prophecy. And that's what we want to instill in your minds today again. And the reason for that is... That we must understand that when we look at Israel, we see a lot of things going on. Israel is still being punished. For what? For disobedience to the word of God. The principle applies to us today. When we disobey the word of God, there are consequences to be faced. We must understand that. You see, the blessings of cause for obedience. All right? And as we underlined before, this whole issue of who does the land belong to, from a biblical point of view, there's no question. It is God's land that he gave to his people, Israel. And we know from a biblical point of view that they are going to possess this land. But you see, although the land was given to them without conditions, their enjoyment in that land was based on the obedience to the word of God. And the reason why they're not enjoying the land of milk and honey as a land of milk and honey is because of disobedience. But as we'll see in this particular prophecy, they will enjoy that. The true Israel, as it were, 
the true seed of Abraham, they will enjoy it in the coming day. And that is this chapter is all about. So I invite you now to take your Bibles then. Turn to Ezekiel 37 and we'll walk our way through this in what I call a walking exposition of this chapter. But I'll be reading today from the contemporary English version, the CEV, uh, because it flows a little good uh, in this particular passage. And I read that, but you follow along with me as we do. Let's have a word of prayer before we look into the passage. Father, thank you for your word. You told us that this is a lamp unto our feet. And Lord, we pray now that this lamp might shine on our pathway. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who illuminates us to understand your revelation. And as we seek to demonstrate your power and the, the godness of your Godhead by being true to your words that you've written for so many hundreds of years, but now being fulfilled before our eyes. Help us to realize that you are a God who cannot lie. That you are a God who can see the future before it happens. That you are a God who has a good purpose for us, only good plans. May we see that as we study how you are working with your people, Israel, the fact that you have good things planned for them as well, things that they will enjoy because you have promised them that they will. That's your word, then we pray as we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. I would call these first verses, by the way, when you go in the book of Ezekiel, you'll find that the first third of that book deals with Israel and God's personal dealings with them. Ezekiel was a young man. He probably was taken captive in Babylon along with Daniel because he was a contemporary of Daniel and also probably of Jeremiah. He, he probably prophesied within the ministry, I would say, around 20 or 25 years. He was a young man who came out of Babylon when they were released. Uh, as you know, Daniel did not. Daniel stayed in. But uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah did, and they were ministering in different parts. And in the first section of this first third of the book, if you want, God deals with Israel. He talks about them in the personal uh, ways and so on, and how he's going to work in their lives and so on. Then the middle third has to do with a whole set of prophecies against the nations that surrounded Israel. And when you study the Bible, you'll find that Israel is always in the center of the world as far as God is concerned. When nations are mentioned, they only mention in reference to Israel. That's all. But in these chapters, these third, these middle chapters of the book of Ezekiel, the judgments against all of the nations uh, that surround Israel. And then when we come to about 33, chapter, chapter 33 of this book, then God begins to make promises of bringing his people back home, into their land. He's promising deliverance. In chapter 33, of course, we have the great chapter there of the, of the new covenant where God will give them a new heart, a heart of flesh and so on. The Spirit will indwell and He will forgive their sins and so on. So the whole last third of the, this prophecy uh, by Ezekiel deals with God's promises to deliver His people. This one, chapter seven, 37, is a portion of that. And this is a fascinating and a, 
an amazing chapter. And so I've called the first 10 verses God's amazing object lesson. God's amazing object lesson. Listen how it begins. Sometime later, that is after the prophecy in chapter 36, this is where God promises to restore Israel and as I said, to put a new heart within them and to give them the Holy Spirit as well. After this, it says, I felt the Lord's power take control of me. Isn't that a wonderful, isn't that a wonderful scripture? I felt the Lord's power take control of me. Have you ever felt that? That God's power took a hold of you? I have. You have too if you search your life. We should. Because anything we do, we should do what? In the strength and the power of the Lord. But Ezekiel felt the Lord's power take a hold of him. This was a unique thing for him. This was a, an experience that God was setting up for. He says, I felt the Lord's power take control of me and his spirit carried me to a valley full of bones. This is very similar to John's experience on the Isle of Patmos. Remember when he says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day? This is something similar here to Ezekiel. He is taken up by the Spirit of God. And he experiences the power of God's Spirit in his life at this particular time. You see, he is now about to see things that are not through things that are. God is going to show him something. And he says, I'm going to show you something else through these things. In other words, now he says, Ezekiel... You're going to see things the way I see them. Wouldn't that be good if we can see things the way God sees them? By the way, through the word, that's how we can look at Israel. We can see things the way God sees them if we go to his word. You see, we can't. The word is there for that. There's so many wonderful things that God has for us to see. Because of his word and the Holy Spirit, but because we don't read, we don't study, we don't submit ourselves to the Spirit, we don't see him. We don't see them. But Ezekiel now is taken up by the power of the Spirit of God. And he says now, in this valley full of bones, by the way, I was preparing a slide thing, but because of all this stuff, I just didn't have time to put it together. This real valley where these bones were believed to be. And uh, we have a picture of that, but the valley of dry bones with hills and all kinds of things on it. But it's full of bones. The Lord showed me all around, and everywhere I looked, I saw bones, and they were dried out. Now, wouldn't you like to have a guide like God carrying around sightseeing? That's what Ezekiel had. But he wasn't looking at dolphins and fish and, and uh, stingarays and beautiful water. He was looking at dead bones, dry bones, a graveyard full of bones. Uh, this means dry bones meant that those bones were there a long time. Some believe that these bones represented the dead that were killed in a war or something and just left there. That's the way it was done. 
And I believe that they represent, as we'll see as we go along, this dry, these dry bones represent Israel being scattered throughout the nations for over 1,800 years at that time. Everywhere that God took Ezekiel, all through that valley, all around, he says, I saw these dry bones. It's a picture of God having scattered the people of Israel throughout the world. No matter where you go, you'll find a Jew. You know that? Just like a Chinese. <laughs> All around, it represents them being scattered from the land, from this land that God calls His land, that given to His people. And they're hopeless, and they're, for all practical purposes, far as a nation is concerned, as far as national entity is concerned, Israel is dead at this point. Hopeless. That's what he saw. The hopelessness of the people of Israel scattered throughout the world. Verse 3. He said, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones come back to life? Wow, what a question. God asking the prophet, these dead, dry up bones, you've been here for long, can they come back to life? How would you have answered that if you were there? Because practically speaking, logically speaking, there's only one answer. What would that be? No. Of course not. They've been dead for so long. In fact, even if they're dead for a short time, probably won't be living a back life. But then you see, Ezekiel knew who he was talking to. Ezekiel was no fool. He was a man of God. And so he answered very wisely, and shrewdly I might answer. Notice what he says. I replied, Lord God, only you can answer that. It says, only you know. In other words, he's saying, Lord, it's all up to you. You can do as you please. You can bring these to life if you want, or you can leave them there. Lord, only you can answer that question. You see, Ezekiel was bowing to the sovereignty of God, the power of God. He was acknowledging that the God to whom he was speaking could do anything. You could do anything you want with these bones, Lord. You see, do you respond to God? That's why I appreciated Terence so much. Because, you know, some individual get all upset, all uptight about this, all emotional about this. And Terence says, no. The Lord is in control. I know he has a purpose for this in my life. And I'm just going to wait to see what it is. He was bound to the sovereignty of God. That's what Ezekiel did here. Is he? Verse 4. He then told me to say, dry bones. Listen. Now, isn't that crazy? Now sometimes, no. I'm, when I go other places, sometimes I feel like I'm speaking to dry bones. Because you, <laughs> you wonder if anybody's listening. Dry bones. Listen. I see God is saying here, these bones can hear. From his perspective. Dry bones, listen to what the Lord is saying to you. God knows that the nation of Israel 
can hear. They weren't listening up to this point, but they know that they can hear. And we're going to see here the things that are going to bring them, what is going to bring them life again is when they hear and they respond. That's what's going to bring life. And listen, a lot of us, the reason why we do not experience the Christ-like life is because we do not hear God speaking to us. Do not listen. Oh, you hear the sound, but you don't comprehend, you don't listen, and there's no life. As you can see, Israel is full of complaining and hopelessness because they don't listen. Christians are like that, hopeless, wandering because they don't listen. Dry bones, listen to what the Lord is saying to you. Verse 5, I, the Lord God, will put breath in you. That's the end product here. I will put breath in you. And once again you will live. That's the end product. That's what God is looking at with his people. They will live. And now he describes the process. I will wrap you with muscles and skin. You see before he puts breath into them. He's got to put the muscles and he's got to put his skin on them. And then he says, and breathe into you. Notice, then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's the end product. That's what God is looking for in his people, that they will realize that he is God. That's it. That's the purpose for life, to know who God is, to worship him, and to serve him. Who are you living for? Who are you living for? If you're living for self, you're not living out the purpose of your life. It's all about him. It's all about him. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What a promise this is. I believe this must have really shaken Ezekiel up, the prophet of God. God says he will, in fact, bring these people back to life for the sole purpose of validating the fact that he alone is the true God. That's the reason. Not just to give them life so they could have fun, but to acknowledge the fact that he is God and to bow to him. That's what we ought to do. Notice the process. In verse 7, first... Ezekiel was obedient. He says, I did what the Lord said. See, that is what God is looking for in our life. Very simple to be a Christian. You know that? All you do is do what God says. We go off track when we do what we say. But when we do what God says, that's, that is the... That precedes blessing. Obedience to God always precedes blessing. Obedience to God always precedes new illumination from the Word of God. You will never be able to receive new revelation or illumination from God if you are disobedient in your life right now. That's why many people don't grow as Christians. That's why I don't get anything of reading of the Word of God. Because you haven't dealt with a sin in your life. Because you've been disobedient to confessing your sin. And you expect to go to the Word and God is just going to reveal new things to you. Why? It's like somebody we were counseling the other day. This couple 
not from this church. Now, this is true. I'm not just saying, not from this church. They were living together, not married, and of course carrying on uh, illicit relationships. So I said to them, well, if we continue with this, uh, you'll have to separate and no relationships until after marriage. Well, the young lady was willing, but not the fellow. All right? But then it came down to a point with this. She said, well, listen, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I got to do what he says. It's too much trouble. But we still want you to counsel us. Now I said, do you realize what you're saying? Here I am telling you that fornication is a sin. Stop doing it. And you say you're not going to do it. And yet you won't come to me for counseling. Why? If I tell you something less, you think you'll do it? Of course not. I don't want to waste my time along those lines. That's here. What he's talking about here. He says, notice. I did what the Lord said. And then God revealed himself to him. We can, get, we can get no new illumination from God if we live in our sin. If we refuse to deal with our sin. No matter how much you sing, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you read, no matter how many good works you do, if you're living with sin in your life, and it doesn't have to be fornication, it doesn't have to be adultery, it could be stealing, it could be bigotry, it could be, it, it could be lust, it could be backbiting, it could be all of those things. It's sin. And no matter what you do, it's not going to take it away until you confess it and turn away from it. You can have all the sincerity in your life, but you're just a sincere sinner. That's the principle here. He obeyed. And then God revealed himself. Notice it says, I did what the Lord said. Second step in the process. But before I finished speaking, I heard a rattling noise. See, when God begins to act with obedient people, he acts fast. He moves. Now, one of the things you're going to find out when you deal with the things of the last days, when they start to happen, they happen quickly. They haven't. That's what's going on all around us in the Middle East and all around. I mean, things happen fast. Now, I heard a rattling noise. We're going to see how this applies to Israel. Step two, after the rattling, the bones were coming together. The rattling first, then the coming together. You'd see how God did this in Israel. Now look at steps 3 and 4 in verse 8. I saw muscles and skin cover the bones. Muscles and skin. Step by step. Coming from the inside out. From the inside out. I saw muscles and skin cover the bones. But they had no life in them. No, no life. This is amazing. You see, this is describing the process of resurrection. But no life. And I believe this has reference to the way Israel will be brought back to the land. And they will be in the land. We see that for a while, a few years. We don't know how long. But they will do so without the indwelling spirit. 
they will not be obedient to the land. In other words, they'll come back in a disobedient state. I think this is what he's saying right here. In other words, there'll be a return in unbelief. Not every Jew is the people of God. The true people of God. You got to be able to understand that. And even some of the real people of God are not obedient to God right now. In fact, it's been demonstrated that the most secular government in the world is probably the government of Israel. There's only one religious person they had as prime minister since they began, and that was... Uh, 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 forgot his name. No. No. Not you wrong for sure. Becca, uh, Mahakam Begin. He was the only religious Jew they had, and he had a relationship with, by the way, the Christian world, which is unique, really. But he was the only one. Others were secularists. Some were atheists. Don't believe in God at all. You see, but they're coming back. Look at verse 9 now. This is where they received the breath of life. Ezekiel now say to the wind, The Lord God commands you to blow from every direction, all corners of the earth, to breathe life into these dead bodies so they can live again. This signifies for the need of all of Israel to come back into the land before life can be given. Israel will come back to that piece of property over there, the people of Israel. They will come back from all corners of the earth. And that is what God is doing now in his unique way. He does this in two phrases, in verses 7 and 8. He brings the bones together, symbolizing the Jews returning to Israel from all corners of the world. Second, in verses 9 and 10, he gives them life. This is when they will accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. And it's described for us in Isaiah 52. That's when they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. You see, we take that passage and apply it to us. And that's fine. But that actually have to do with repentant Israel. That's when Israel will repent in Isaiah 52. And they will look upon the one whom they despised. And they will realize that he was smitten for them. The stripes that he bore was for them. That he was crushed for them. That's when they will turn to Jesus Christ. That's looking ahead. You see, look at verse 10. As soon as I said this, the wind blew among the bodies and they came back to life. They all stood up and there was enough to make a large army. This has to do, as we'll see in the passage, if you get there this morning, all of Israel coming back. All of the tribes will be represented. There's no such thing as the lost tribes of Israel. Right? No such thing. All of them will come back. We'll see how God brings them together later on. Now, now God explains his object lesson. This is what he says in verse 11. The Lord says, Ezekiel, the people of Israel are like dead bones. Now, there's some people who go to this passage and try to spiritualize it, allegorize it. Say, well, this is only spiritual speaking. Well, God shuts them up with this one. Those bones are Israel. That's what he says. They're like Israel. Ezekiel, the people of Israel are like dead bones. Notice what, notice what happened. They complain that they are dried up and that they have no hope for the future. That's Israel complaining. No hope for the future. So tell them, now here's a message of hope, tell them, I am the Lord God. 
Prom I, the Lord God, promise to open your graves and to set you free. Now, isn't that a great message? I mean, if you don't have any hope and you're complaining and all of a sudden this great God comes, you say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to set you free. That's great news, isn't it? I'm going to set you free. There's some you right here needs to be set free. Perhaps you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ. You're bound by the power of sin. Satan in your life. You need to be set free. Only Jesus Christ can do that. That's all. And you have to personally place your faith in I don't care if your ma, your pa, your grandpa, your great-grandpa were all Christians and were all part of the build the church and do all of that. If you haven't personally placed faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And you say, boy, that's mean. That's the truth. God doesn't fool around. We fool around. God doesn't fool around, you know. He's put his standards down and he expects us to abide by them. He says, to those who have no hope, I, the Lord God, promise to open your graves, give you life and set you free. Jesus set you free. You're free indeed. And I trust that today some of you might place your faith in Jesus Christ. But the Christians who are bound by their sin as well. In their own life, in their own way. And there's no freedom to live for Christ. No freedom to love other Christians. No freedom to give. No freedom to serve. God can set you free. He says, I will bring you back to Israel. That's how he's going to give them life. I'm going to bring you back. Where? To Israel. Where is Israel? That little place right over there they're fighting for. Now, isn't that something? Right now, it's a battlefield. But God says, that's where I can bring you. Right there. 8,000 square mile piece of property. That's where I'm going. Now notice he says, I the Lord God promised to open your graves and set you free. How? I will bring you back to Israel. Now notice he says, and when that happens, what? When I bring you back to Israel, you will realize that I am God. That's why he's going to do it. He's going to bring them back, not just to give them a good land, but for them to realize that I am God. That's why. It'll happen when all of Israel is back in the land. That's why this chapter is such a crucial chapter here. Verse 14. My spirit will give you breath and you will live again. Just as God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and Adam became a living being, God will breathe on these dead bones of Israel. They come from all of the land and they will be his people. And they will be his people. I will, notice it's so beautiful, I will bring you home. Where's home for these people? Israel. God's chosen people has a chosen home. And that's Israel, the land of Israel. And God says, all of you who scattered all over, you will not have life, true life, until you're brought back home and you realize that I am God. I will bring you home and you will know that I have kept my promise. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's faithfulness. God means what he says. And he says, do you take the word of God for that? Look at your life. Thou shalt not lie. You know, that still holds by the day today. That's still true. How's your integrity? 
Hmm? Thou shalt not covet. What do you lust after? Your pride. What are you proud of? We could go on and on. You will know that I have kept my promise. I, the Lord, have spoken. And he wants us to obey his word. I want you to see how Israel being forced out of their land is liking to their bones being dried up. But by contrast, Israel returning to their land is compared to coming out of the grave. You see that? Out of the land, they're like dead cops. Bones, dried up. In the land, they're like the coming out of the grave. It's a resurrection story. There was a rattling sound and the bones began to stir, according to this passage. Slowly at first, then with increasing speed, the bones come together. The Jews began to come home in the, in the, in the 1800s. Their tendons and the flesh began to appear on them. And they became a nation one again, once again in 1948. How God did this provides one of the most fascinating accounts of prophetic fulfillment in biblical history. How God brought his people back to their land and made them a nation again is one of the most amazing stories ever told. We must not lose sight of that fact. That's all a part of it what's happening over there. Don't lose the context. If the Bible was still being written, people would be written right now, prophets would be written about what's happening over there in Israel. The bones began to stir in 1895. Wish you had time to go through this one. A Jewish Austrian by the name of Theodor the Herzl was sent to report. He was a newspaper man on the trial of one Alfred Dreyfus. I don't know if you all who know history remember this man. He was a Jewish French soldier accused of collaboration with, with Germany. And as he was, Herzl was standing in the crowd following the trial in which this man was sentenced to death and also and everybody said was the trial was a mockery and all of that kind of truth. All the people were crying, kill the traitor, kill the Jew, kill the Jew, kill the Jew. Herzl said that went like a dagger to his heart. And he got a conviction that the people of Israel must be back in their land. He wrote a book called The Jewish State. It focused on the need for the Jews to have a state of their own. That's how Zionism began. A real nationalistic movement, but it was things that God used to stir his people back. See, one of the things that we wish we could develop is to see how God used common everyday events, we think, to accomplish his purpose. He was a newspaper man witnessing a trial. He saw this and he made a conviction. And so he did something and it turned the world's history around. Two years later in 1897, the first World Zionist Congress was convened by Herzl in Basel, Switzerland. From that, from that time, the Zionist movement was born. And at the conclusion of that Congress, this is what Herzl said. I have founded the Jewish state. This is 1897 now. If I was to say so today, people would laugh at me. But in five years' time, certainly in 50 years, it will be seen that I was right. History proved him right. Exactly 51 years later, Israel became a state. And it all started with this nationalistic movement. Stirring. Then the bones began to rattle with World War I. Listen to this article concerning this history. Let's, let me read it to get through it. 
Quote, Palestine had been occupied by the Ottoman Turks for 400 years. There were fewer than 10,000 Jews in all of Palestine. The war was going badly for England. Germany's advanced weaponry was devastating the Allied troops. They were desperate to find a rapid method of manufacturing TNT and smokeless gunpowder. A brilliant Jew named Dr. Kayam Weizmann, a Zionist, invented a fast and economical way of producing acetone, a key ingredient in these explosives. The sing this single invitation literally changed the course of the war. It's a Jew. Invented this element that the British could use in order to destroy the enemy. A Jew. He was a Zionist. But he was also one who believed, because at this same moment in the early part of the 19th century, there was a movement in the Christian world about the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the importance of Israel. And he was getting that at the same time. God was bringing the church and these Jews together. It's amazing how this happened. Anyway, England asked Dr. Weisman to name his reward. What do you want? We owe this war to you. Rejecting personal reward, Weizmann requested that Palestine be declared the national homeland for the Jewish people. Isn't that amazing? One man, he invented this little thing. Changed the history of the war. England says, name your reward. He says, I want my people to have a state. If he hadn't done that, this guy would have no audience at all to the hierarchy of England. But he did. As a result of this request, the Balfour Declaration was drawn up and signed on November the 12th, November the 2nd, 1917. Here is what he wrote. Dear Lord Rothschild, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's Government the following declaration in sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspiration, which has been submitted to and approved by the Cabinet. His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for Jewish people and will use their best endeavor to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. I should be grateful if you would bring this declaration to the knowledge of your Zionist Federation. That little note. That is signed, by the way, by Balfour, Arthur James Balfour, who was a Christian, who believed in the second coming of Christ and who believed that the Jews had to be in the land before it happened. Isn't that amazing? God using ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to bring about what he has planned. You see, we can see what God is doing through Scripture. People would see this as only look at his history. But you see, it's his story. Story, Christ himself. With this simple declaration, God was about to redirect history, fulfill his promise made thousands of years ago. Although the conclusion was certain because God has decreed it, the road to nationhood would prove to be long and bitter. We know that from experience, from history. But you see, the bones were coming together. The rattle, the coming together, the shaking, and now the bones are coming together. Israel is born as a nation. We can go on with the amazing story that was told, how all of it happened. But in May of 1948, Israel was declared a nation. Now, I promise I'll let you go home early today, so let me try to condense this. The agreement that was made by United Nations on April the 2nd, 1947, concerning the fate of Palestine, 
uh, started to come into play. On November the 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to partition Palestine, giving independence to the Jews. The agreement provided the Jews only a quarter of the territory they originally intended for the homeland. The homeland. It was only 10 miles wide and vulnerable to attack on every side. But they wanted a home, even if it was only the size of a postage stamp. Under the terms of the partition, arms could only be sold to recognized nations. So that means that the Arabs could buy the arms, but Israel couldn't because it was not a nation yet. And so they were arming themselves against Israel as Israel was putting the final touches in becoming declared a nation. Fateful day happened on May 14, 1948. In the League of Nations, which eventually became the United Nations, the vote was given. Religion becoming. Will the dry bones live? What will happen? Will Israel become a state? Will these dry bones live? The vote was given. And listen to it. You're listening to history now. Listen to history being made where God begins to put the flesh on the bones of Israel by this vote. The audio. It says, vote Israel. Boy, my timing isn't like the Lord's. Afghanistan? No. Argentina? Argentina? Abstention? Australia? Yes. Belgium? Yes. Bolivia? Yes. Brazil? Yes. Belarusia? Yes. Canada? Yes. Chile? Soviet Union? Yes. United Kingdom? Abstain. The United States? Yes. Uruguay? Yes. Venezuela? Yes. Yemen? No. Yugoslavia? Abstain. The resolution of the Dutch Committee for Palestine was adopted by 33 votes, 13 against, 10 abstentions. That's history you just listened to. That's when God began to put right there with that vote. What was happening? What was God doing? He was bringing together the dry bones. You know that song? Them dry bones, them dry bones. Listen now. This is what happened now. Put it in context.
believe it or not, that's one of the most theologically correct hymns or songs you will hear. Because all of those joining together is God did through all of these events, bringing different people together. One of the most wonderful stories are told about another Christian, not only Balfour, but also uh, uh, General uh, Allen, who went into um, Israel. Let me just share you this, and then we'll close. Um, it, uh, Britain was, was, was fighting to get Jerusalem back from the, from the Arabs. And um, he had surrounded Jerusalem. But before going in, they had a plane fly over with little leaflets. Tell them, please come out or surrender because we're coming in and we are going to, we are going to uh, destroy the city. Well, you know what? Almost all of the Arabs came out. Because it was signed Allenby. They looked at Alabi. No, this is true. They looked at, you know, now you know who Allah is. Because B has something to do with the son of or relative or, or a close one to God. And they thought that this was a message from Allah. So all of them came out and uh, uh, the commander Allen was able to walk in Jerusalem and take it over without firing a shot. If we had time, we'd look at the, a verse. A verse of scripture tells us about an eagle flying over Jerusalem and people will be afraid and, and they will be delivered because of this. It's almost a fulfillment of that prophecy of this little small plane flying over. We'll do that next time because it looks like I'll have to give another message. But anyway, in 1948... Israel became an independent nation for the first time since Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, conquered them more than 2,500 years earlier. Folks, you understand what? This is his, we're living it out here. Hear what God is saying. Now look at verse 15 of the passage. The Lord said to Ezekiel, son of man, get a stick and write on it the kingdom of Judah. Then get another stick and write on it the kingdom of Israel. They were divided at the time. Hold these two sticks end to end so they look like one stick. In other words, bring them back. And when your people ask you what this means, tell them that I, the Lord, will join together the stick of Israel and the stick of Judah. I will hold them in my hand and they will become one. He's talking about uniting the people of God again and bringing them to the land. Hold these two sticks and when they can be seen by everyone and then say, I, the Lord God, will gather the people of Israel and bring them home from their foreign nations where they now live. I will make them into one nation and let them once again live in the land of Israel. That's what it's all about. Only one king will rule them, he says. And they will never again be divided into na two nations. They will no longer worship idols and do things that make them unacceptable to me. I will wash away their sin and make them clean. I will protect them from everything that makes them unclean. They will be my people and I will be their God. Friends, that's what it's all about. That's what happening in Israel is all about. For God's word to be true and for him to be God over all his people. It will come to pass. Because God says his will. Them dry bones, them dry bones, they're going to live again. Father, thank you for your word. Grant that we might be true to your word so we might not have to be disciplined as your people were. Thank you, our Father, for giving us your word as a lamp and your Holy Spirit as our guide. 
Help us to read and to study it so that we might obey it for your glory and to understand the why of what's happening in the world today so that our hearts might not be fearful, but rather be filled with joy and conviction that the God of Israel is still alive, still on the throne. And all God's people said, Amen.